Good morning. Dating back all the way to the ancient civilization of Egypt, and then to Greece, and then to Rome, you see this image of Lady Justice. And you'll notice this image here has three symbols. You see that Lady Justice is blindfolded. In her left hand, she's lifting up a scale. And in her right hand is a lowered sword. So you look at that and you see the examples of this and you think of that symbols and what they mean. To be blindfolded represents what's objective and what's impartial, blinded for right and what is just. The scales, why the scales? Well, it's an accurate measurement. It's the idea of what is rational and what is right. We're going to do what's rational and right. It's that measurement that's there. Then what about the sword? Well, the sword represents the authority. If you're going to be just and right, there also has to be not only rewards of the scale, but also that of, of punishment by the sword. And so all three of those have that representation of objectivity, impartiality, what's rational, right, and the authority that you have. The scriptures put a high emphasis upon what is right and just and puts a strong emphasis there. And so you see, for example, under the blindfold, objectivity, impartiality, this statement about God in Romans 2 verse 11. And I'm sorry, I made that print so small that not even an ant could read it. It's 100% my fault and I should have double checked it. But it's Romans 2 verse 11. There is no partiality with God. Here the objectivity, the impartiality. What about the scales that are right and rational, measuring things, the reward of the scales? Well, in Proverbs 16, verse 11, honest scales are from the Lord. See, he wants what's right and just and honest, true standard, true measurement. What about the authority? Revelation 19, verse 2, here's what it says about the Lord. The Lord's judgments are true and righteous. Now, wherever you cut the scriptures... When God speaks about injustice, it tells you he hates injustice, that he will right what is wrong. In fact, he will judge severely any justice that becomes corrupt. And so part of his law in Deuteronomy 16 verse 19 is this clause where he tells his people that they must not pervert justice or show favor. Don't take a bribe, for bribes blind the eyes of the wise and distort the words of the righteous. Pretty clear, isn't it? The idea of justice and what is right to be upheld. There's this word about God that's the word immutable. Have you ever heard that term immutable? The immutable nature of God. The immutable nature of God is referred to throughout Scripture. But in Malachi 3 verse 6, this is God speaking about himself. And he says, I, the Lord, do not change. To be immutable doesn't mean that you're stubborn. Doesn't mean that you refuse. It means it's impossible for you to change. It is impossible for God to change because of his immutable nature, his character. And there's a bunch of them listed about his immutable character, right? His mercy is unchanging. His love is unfailing. His forgiveness is everlasting. His kindness, his grace, his faithfulness, his trust is unchanging. His eternal nature is unchanging. 
His perfection can never change. His wisdom, his power, his presence, all those are immutable. And there's also a couple of others that are more difficult. The justice of God is immutable. God is just, never changes. God is right, it never changes. And for all those to work in harmony, they must work together. Which means that this loving, merciful, forgiving, perfect, eternal, all-knowing God is just and right who rewards and who also punishes. In order for him to be just and right, it involves the scale and the sword and impartiality. Now, because of what the Thessalonians experienced when they accepted Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, I believe that 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, that talks about what is right and just, is such a great scripture for us to look at today in looking at how God is right and just. And since we are justified by this right and just God, he expects us as his followers to practice what is right and just towards others as well. So please listen as I read these scriptures and we'll go back to them. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love of all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we will boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this evidence is that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. So with this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's great verses. God is right. God is just. Now, inherent in this idea of what is just and right is the word truth, right? We have to trust that the law is right. We have to trust the process. We must trust in the judges, that they're impartial. And that's why the scriptures emphasize the immutable character of God is you can trust in God always, what Lynn just read to us earlier from Psalm 25. You can trust in him. He's good. He's upright. He'll always do what is right and just. And so this is the idea that you can count on God. You can depend upon him. He will never change. You can always trust in him, no matter whenever you live on this planet. That's why in Isaiah 26, verse 4, I love this verse. Trust in the Lord when? 
always. For the Lord God is an eternal rock. His trust is unending. You can always trust in him. It's eternal. Now, we have evidence that God is right and just. These Thessalonians I mentioned earlier, they had, Paul had come into the area of Macedonia and there had preached the gospel for a few short weeks. And immediately persecution breaks out. And this city of Thessalonica with the Christians, new Christians in there, are now experiencing pain and persecution and being unfairly punished simply because now they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Paul had to leave the city because of the persecution and the pain and the suffering that was being inflicted. He's concerned about them as he moves on to other places like Berea and down the road. He finally gets a report back. And here's what he hears in verse 3 through 4. He's concerned that maybe that those Thessalonians had, under the pain and the persecution of what was unfair and unjust, had given up and gotten discouraged. Here's what Paul gets back as the report. I hear, Paul says, that you're have a growing faith, that you're increasing in love, that you're enduring in your hope. In other words, what should have destroyed you has increased your faith, grown your love, and inspired your hope to be encouraged in God to lean upon him. Remember when we talked about the big three in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? Faith, hope, and love. Your works produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. Your hope, in, your, your hope inspired by God through Jesus Christ. This is right here again. You have this endurance inspired by the hope in Christ. And here's what Paul says. In that injustice and that persecution and that suffering and troubles, it did not break you. But you chose to keep your faith in God, your love in God, and therefore your hope in God. And so instead of getting discouraged by the injustice, they grow in it, don't they? And the reason why they thrive is because of their faith, hope, and love. Now, that's evidence that God is just. And not only that God is just, but God is right. And there is a difference between the two sometimes, right? Justice does not always seem right. But the justice that God has is both right and just. When something is an injustice, it produces pain and troubles and suffering and further wrong. When something is right and just, it heals, it restores, it brings peace, relief, and yes, even punishment for those who are not doing right. That, that is the growing faith, the increasing faith, the enduring hope. And you look in verse 5, it says this. What's the this? Your faith, hope, and love. This, that your faith increased, that your hope increased, that your love increased in the, in the midst of injustice. You held on to God, and that is the evidence that God's judgment is what? See, it's right. God's judgment is right. Biblical justice is the only true justice. It's the right justice. And as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God will make it right. And you have that hope and that belief. Now, understanding that helps us from rushing to judgment, right? Have you ever rushed to judgment? Does anything good ever come out of a rushed judgment? Not very often. There's an evil that comes against me. I'm not waiting till it grows cold. I'm retaliating. I'm getting revenge tenfold. I'm going to have swift action against it. I want my justice now. 
what happens? My emotions override the rational, my subjectivity over objectivity. And I rush to judgment, and I demand swift action. Sometimes that leads to mob violence or vigilante justice, but it's all emotionally charged, and rushed judgment offers only wrong choices, and it makes matters worse, not better. Rushed judgment does not heal, does not restore, does not bring relief, does not bring peace. It brings further evil and violence because we're acting out of our partiality. God is right and just. He hates injustice. And that's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Now, the verse before 19, verse 18, says, you don't overcome evil with what? Evil. In other words, when you rush to judgment... You demand that that evil be met with evil. You're going to retaliate and revenge. Paul says, don't overcome evil with evil. No, you have faith, hope, and love in God, right? So you overcome evil with what? Good. Then he leads to verse 19. He says, don't retaliate. Leave room for God's wrath. Don't practice hate, right? Leave room for God's wrath. And here's the promise. You believe that God says it and he means it. I will repay those who've done wrong. See that? That's hard to do, isn't it? What we tend to do is rush to judgment, and we're going to take care of it ourselves. And God warns us about that. If you use evil to overcome evil, all you do is produce more evil. The only way to ever conquer evil, the only way, is the biblical goodness of God and the biblical grace of God. Only way to overcome evil. So we have to operate in that. So if you're struggling with that this morning, I want you to write down this verse. It's a wonderful promise. You may want to write this down. Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 through 4. How do I do this? How do I let God work in that evil injustice in my life? How do I keep from retaliating? How do I leave room for God's wrath? How do I know he's going to be right and just? Write it down. Ascribe greatness to our God. Why? He is the rock. His work is what? Perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright as he. Do you believe that? Say amen. I mean, that is what you hold on to. That leads to another, yeah, but how long do I have to wait for God to do this? I mean, if I don't take care of this, when's God going to do this? When's this going to be righted? And how many times in scriptures do you have in the Psalms? Oh, Lord, how long, how long, oh, Lord? That emphasis upon that. When will God right the wrong? When will he punish what is right? When will it happen? Well, he'll tell you when in just a moment. But here's what you can be certain of. If God says he's going to do it, God's going to do it. And he tells us that he's going to do it. You see, the problem is, is we have this fear that we will never get the justice that we think we need to have. How many of you have ever heard the expression, justice delayed is justice denied? Ever heard that phrase? Justice delayed is justice denied. Will I be forgotten? Will this be kind of swept under the carpet? People lose interest? When, if ever, will I have my justice? Is my justice being delayed? and therefore being denied? I mean, even the martyrs in heaven one time asked God, how much longer do we have to wait for you to avenge our blood? They're even asking that in heaven, right? So 
This question all the way back thousands of years ago, they're still asking the same question. How long must we wait? Justice delayed is justice denied if it's not just and right. And so that leads to discouragement about our system. It leads to anger that we don't have a voice. It leads to this idea, it's unfair, it's biased against me, it's partial. It leads to cynicism, it doesn't work. We've got to take matters into our own hands. And then we begin to say, well, if we're like that, isn't that what God is doing with us? What do you mean one day God will be just and right and take care of all this? Well, how much longer do I have to wait? Well, hope in God. Faith, hope, and love. Well, what if that's unattainable? What if it's just kind of delusion to kind of get us through life? Well, one day God's going to straighten it all out, right? One day you can hope that one day God will take care of it. It won't happen in your lifetime, but one day when you're in heaven, you'll see it all work out. See how that's used and twisted to make it sound like it's cynical and it doesn't work? That's what the mockers did, right? In Second Peter, they began to mock. Well, where's the promise of his coming? Look how long it's been. He's not come back. It's only been 30 years at that point. It's been 2,000 years for us. Well, here's the certainty that you have. God's justice is not delayed and therefore denied in that aspect. The certainty is, the certainty is that God will do what is right and just. Certainty of that. Grow in your faith when you have that doubt. Increase your loving God when you have that doubt. Endure in your hope because he's just And he tells you exactly when he's going to do it so you don't have to guess. Look in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. Here it says, this statement about God. Not only is God right in his judgments, God is also what? Just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. When? When? This will happen when? The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He tells you exactly when it's going to happen. When Jesus returns to this earth and gathers up his people to the cloud and takes them to heaven for their scale of reward, the wrath of God comes coming down with the sword and executes his wrath upon those who troubled and brought destruction to his people. All the suffering, all the injustice, all the wrongs are righted by the terrible swift sword of our Lord. Now here we are 2,000 years later. People still mock, don't they? Well, where's the promise of that coming? That's just a delusion on your part as a Christian. No, it's certain it's going to happen. Peter tells us the Lord doesn't count a day like we do, right? He's slow. He's waiting because he doesn't wish any of us to perish. But that justice will prevail. Have you ever heard the expression, the wheels of justice grind slowly but exceedingly fine? You know what that means? It takes a while for that wheel to get around, around that grain, right? And the husk and the separation, the tough grain keeps grinding and grinding. Eventually, there's a fine powder to it. The wheels of justice grind slowly but exceedingly fine. We, we tend to think only in our day and time. Oh, look at what we're going through today. The world's never been through this ever before. Our world's just falling apart. What's happening to this generation? You do realize that every generation says that to some extent, right? I want to take you back 3,000 years ago to the day of Solomon. Tell me Scripture's not relevant for our time. 3,000 years ago, Solomon writes these words in Ecclesiastes verse 8. He says, let me tell you about my world and my condition right now. The wicked are being praised and honored and revered in our society. 
and not the righteous. It seems like the wicked outlive those who are good, Solomon says. It seems like the righteous get rewarded, or the righteous are the ones that are punished, and the wicked are the ones who are getting all the rewards. It seems like when we go to the courts, you cannot get justice. And so people are taking law and order into their own hands. That's written 3,000 years ago by Solomon during his time, right? You know what his answer was? He says, the only certainty we know in this uncertain time is you must live trusting God. Trust in God. You must live the life that God has given you as a gift from God and not get overwhelmed by all the wickedness and what, all the injustice. You must understand that God's wisdom will prevail and that God comprehends things more than we ever can. That's what Solomon says. So we must trust that God is just and right and in his wisdom, he's going to deal with all that injustice and what's not right. Oh, the wheels of justice grind slowly, but exceedingly fine. Don't be mocked. Don't be mistaken. God is just. God is right. God is impartial. He's an impartial judge, isn't he? Notice that next point, impartial. He has his objective standard for everyone that's just and right. Notice in verse 8 through 10, here's the standard. Here's how impartial he is. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believe. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. God is just, he's right, he's impartial, which means he carries a sword and a scale. The sword goes to those who do not believe in God those who reject Christ will come to the sword of everlasting destruction. He's just. He's impartial. He's right. To those who believe in Christ, who obey Christ, who live for God through Christ, the scales will find the right measurement that they will have righteousness and holiness, glorify God, and be counted worthy to be part of God's kingdom. That is impartial. It's right, it's just, it's a standard. Now here's the problem. Listen to me. Many have switched the word justice with the word fairness. Do you understand justice and fairness are not the same? Justice and fairness. We have switched justice for the word fairness. And we so think in doing that, that we're going to get justice. We have to admit something, don't we? We're all partial, we're all biased. We bring that to everything we do, even when we read the law or see the law or look at other people and view other people's actions. I'm biased, I'm partial, how about you? I mean, I'm a, 60, I'm a 36-year-old guy. <laughs> I need to change that. I'm giving that a bad name. I need to change it. All the years I've lived here, right, I have my biases, I have my partiality. I want what's fair, if I can get it fair, it'll be right. Hear it? And just get things fair, it'll be right. And, and we avoid the most obvious thing that God says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know? You don't even know your own heart. Have you ever been deceived in your heart? 
Ever had weakness in your heart? Do you think that affects how you judge things and see what's right or wrong by that? Oh, my partiality towards myself allows me to excuse my offenses that I should be condemned for and have a harsher judgment to those others who have lesser offenses than my own and stand there and believe I'm absolutely right and fair in my judgment. Isn't that amazing? But we want what's fair because it makes us feel good. If we can just get things fair, everything's going to be just right. And so we're going to keep it fair and even Stephen and same for all. Let me talk to you about a kid's menu for a moment. A parent wants to be fair to their three children. So they're either going to have a fair menu or a just menu. So you have this nine-month-old and this toddler and this 10-year-old, and you want a fair menu. So the amount of food you feed your nine-month-old, you give to your toddler, and you give to your 10-year-old. So as a parent, you've been absolutely 100% fair. Your nine-month-old gets the same amount of food as the toddler, and the 10-year-old gets the same amount as the toddler and the nine-month. Absolute equal distribution. Absolutely fair. Is everyone happy? Is there all of all this feels so right? You realize two out of three of those kids are grumbling, complaining, and unhealthy. The parents not happy. They just try to keep everything fair and even. But what happens? Two of the three kids are complaining. Can't please anybody. Right? Isn't this a ridiculous picture here? No, of course we wouldn't do it that way. No, what we want is a just menu, don't we? We know that the nine-month-old needs a certain portion of food as well as the toddler needs more food than the nine-month-old. And the 10-year-old boy needs more than a toddler, right? And we understand that. And our role as parents is not to be fair to our children, to keep everything even. That develops what you call sometimes spoiled brats. I know none of us have those. But when you try to keep everything fair, there is no happiness in your family. There's just dysfunction, artificiality. Parents want to raise kids that are healthy, growing, and developing. And the only way they can do that is by being just. What is right for the nine-month-old may not be right for the toddler or for the 10-year-old. They're all individuals with different needs and different aspects of life where they're at. But in so doing, if they try to distribute everything evenly and be fair, it doesn't work. But if they distribute according to the need, what that each individual child needs, it's just, it's right, it develops growth and health. Now, our God's an impartial God. He's my father. He's my parent. He gives us access to all his wonderful grace, mercy, love, right? Everything is mine, but he distributes it, distributes it to me according to my need, what's best for me and what's best for you. And as I'm growing and developing what might have been good for me 10 years ago, I need more of it now and more down the road as well. Does that make sense? God is faithful. He's impartial. God is a loving God. 
And people say, well, if God's such a loving God and such a fair God, why is it that he punishes those that are wicked? Why not save everybody? If he's really fair, he would save everybody. That's interesting, isn't it? Remember, immutable characters cannot contradict each other. They work in conjunction with each other. God's holy. He's truthful. He has a standard, right? It's to his glory. He also gave us a choice to follow his standard or not to follow his standard. And in making that decision, we then determine our outcome. That's why in Romans 3 verse 24, it says, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you want God to be fair with you, the only way God can be fair with all of us is to damn all of us to hell, to everlasting destruction, because there's not a one of us who live up to the glory of God. Every one of us falls short of God's glory. So if you want God to be fair, you know what you just asked for? Every one of us to be thrown into the everlasting fire, because we all fall short of the glory of God. He treats us. Notice, that's the verdict. Notice his desire. The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish, but what? Everyone to come to repentance. What's his desire? What does God want for you? He wants everyone to be saved, right? But he has a standard. And here's the standard. Here's the desire, but he must follow the standard. And that standard is you must come to repentance. So that's why it says in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Why? Because God is right and just, and there's judgment for those who choose not to repent. They made the choice. And then he continues this way. And here's the great question of all time here in 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Isn't that the question we should ask? What kind of person are you? What kind of person ought you to be? Do you want to be filled with faith, hope, and love? Or do you want to deny God and reject the gospel of Christ? That choice is yours. But knowing the evidence, knowing the verdict, and knowing the desire of God, what sort of person ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. But in keeping with his promises, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's justice, isn't it? It's justice. God is right. He's just. And he has the authority, the authority to implement it. To enforce it. There's no greater power or authority than that of God. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26, and we're going to look at it backwards. Okay? We're going to follow this. We're going to first look at the standard and then the verdict and then the just and right scale of God. So, so here's the standard, the authority of God. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. See what God has done? God is right. He's just. He now justifies us and makes us right. How did he do that? By putting our faith in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, you're atoned, you're forgiven, you're declared righteous and justified. He has the authority as the judge to bring a verdict towards sin. Here we are, back to Romans 3.24 again. What have we all done? 
See, that's the verdict. That's the indictment. That's the verdict we're under. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. The, the standard is the glory of God, not my goodness or anyone else's goodness. Am I glorifying God? That's the standard. All of us fall short of it. We're under, a di- under, under, under indictment. That's why we need the faith in Christ that God says by his authority justifies us and saves us. To be in the glory of God, we need his righteousness. Look in Romans 3.22. Notice, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. You hear that? You see that? The gift is from God. We need righteousness to glorify him. So what did God do in his authority? Send his son Jesus to be my sacrifice. Atone for my sins, forgiveness, justification. What does the word justify mean? Just as if I've never sinned. What does the word righteousness mean? Standing right before God. And God has done all that for me through Jesus Christ. By his authority, his impartiality. It's for Jew or non-Jew. doesn't matter who you are if you make that choice and put your faith in Christ. You give God the glory. Now, here's the greatness of God. Without violating truth or justice or what is right, he's a judge with an incredible amount of mercy and grace. Aren't you thankful? The grace and mercy that we receive from God, this grace, Paul writes in verse 11, with this in mind, we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. What does the grace of God do? Makes me worthy of his kingdom. It moves me into his mercy and his love through obedience. By his grace, I'm fruitful, and by his grace, I'm filled with good works, and my faith grows, and my love increases, and my endurance, and my hope perseveres. It moves on. God is just. He's right. He's impartial, filled with grace. What does he want you to do as one of his followers? He wants you to be just and right and filled with grace towards others. And when we trust in God that way, to be right and true and just, and we live that way, we then understand the meaning of what Amos said in Amos 5 verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Isn't that a wonderful way to live? Aren't you thankful that you can trust in God who's right and just? He calls us to do the same. This morning, I hope this lesson's been an encouragement to you and draws you closer to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in your daily walk with Him. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation anyway, be baptized, place membership, or need prayers, please give one of the elders as we sing this next song or get with them after services. And we invite you to make that decision together as we now stand and sing. <clears throat>